You're listening to Like Flint Radio, part of the Revelations Radio Network. Welcome to Like Flint Radio. I'm your host, GK. You can find us on the web at www.likeflintradio.com. You can also email us at mail at likeflintradio.com and you can email me personally at gk at likeflintradio.com. That's all lowercase, gk at likeflintradio.com. In this episode, which I've called Rhinos and Redemption in the African Bush, I'm talking to Mark McDonald, a fellow believer and rhino conservationist about his work with rhino in Africa and about his walk with the Lord. In this first segment, Mark tells me about his time in Kruger National Park in South Africa, a topic that we return to later. And Mark also shares some information about rhinos and why they are important to the ecosystem of Africa. I was very keen to talk to Mark about the rhinos because anyone who knows me will tell you Rhino are a fascination uh, for me. I have been known um, more than once to travel more than eight hours just to spend time with rhinos as I see them as a, a wondrous part of God's creation. Okay, so enough from me. Here's Mark McDonald's Rhinos and Redemption in the African Bush. Yeah, God, God, first of all, I just want to say it's a privilege to be here um, having a chat to you about uh, all these wonderful things. Um, I'm from South Africa. I'm from a little mining town in the west of Johannesburg where I grew up and eventually uh, did my schooling in, in another small town called Potterstrom in, the, in, the, in a very famous maize belt of South Africa in the gold mining area. And then I landed up in the military for a couple of years and then decided to, to work in conservation. Well, look, Kruger was a major part of my career. I... Uh, Landed up in Kruger um, from the private reserves um, and had a lot of visions and ideas, but I followed a process of development and I got involved in tourism for a couple of years. And then uh, we were involved in project management because uh, the, with the new government coming into power, um, uh, the um, levies that were paid to national parks, uh, 95% of it was cancelled and we had to, we had to um, develop new products. Uh, and put it out on the table so that um, uh, national parks could could earn an income. And from these projects, um, I developed an overland trail in Kruger from Crocodile Bridge to Bufuri and started off with walking trails and um, open vehicle safari uh, going into the park, open vehicles. So, yes, we I, 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 I then became very committed to conservation and uh, from there landed up in private reserves in Mozambique. Just before we move on, um, Mark, how big is Kruger and how p- important it is to South Africa? Because I haven't overemphasized it, have I? It is a it is a big deal, isn't it? Well, it's the flagship of national parks in Southern Africa. It's a, it's it covers um, over one million hectares. So the state of Massachusetts fits into the uh, Kruger National Park or the state of Israel. Wow. wow. Okay, so it, it, it that's massive. Uh, and how long were you there for? 
Well, I um, I spent 13 years in in the Kruger National Park, uh, right. living in all the different areas. So in the north, the central, and southern areas. Um, yeah. So so the park became my home for 13 years, where two children were raised. Well, you know, first of all, um, they they uh, fulfill a very important niche within God's creation. So with, within this creation, those two species, the, the, the square-lipped rhinoceros, which we, we, we fondly um, uh, call a white rhino, and the um, hooked-lipped uh, uh, rhino, which we, we call black rhino, these two animals live in two very, very interesting habitats. The one is a browser, which is the, the black rhino. Um, they are browsing animals. So in other words, they don't eat grass, and their calf walks directly behind the cow. So it means she's in thickets. That's where they live in thickets. And she'll open up these areas for this little calf to follow her. But her, one of her major uh, uh, um, um, aspects, important behavioral aspects, is that they open up these thickets for other little uh, antelope to move uh, freely through. So, so that's what the black rhino does. Then we've got the white rhino. They are, are, are grazers. So they're like big lawnmowers. And, and that calf walks in front of its mother, um, and, and that's for protection. So, so we find a lot of black rhino calves, because they walk behind their, their, their mum, they are often uh, taken by predators or, or, or badly mauled by, you know, and so forth. But, but with white rhino calves, they, they, they're less at risk of being taken by predators or being bitten by, you know, etc. Now, again, um, white rhino live in open woodland and grassland, and therefore they open um, up these thickets of, of grass where also little animals can move around, etc., etc. They perform also at their middens. So each bull will have a midden, which is part of their, their territorial marking process. At these middens, uh, the bulls will defecate in one spot, and the dominant bull will kick that dung open and spread it open. So it's a way of remarking its territory. But now again, you know, seeds of grasses are dispersed, uh, those that didn't go through or, or, or through the digestive tract that, that, that came out whole, and you've got a whole uh, lot of different insects living in those 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 um, middens. Uh, and again, um, you know, for tourism in Southern Africa, these animals have to survive, or else, you know, we 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 are not going to be able to um, rely on tourism as an income generating uh, entity. Um, now, what, what sort of numbers are we talking in the wild? Uh, in Australia, we have uh, a number of uh, zoos that have uh, rhinos and rhino breeding programs, but the numbers aren't large. Um, and I just saw on the news just the other night, um, two nights ago, that there's a new zoo in Victoria that's expecting um, a delivery of some uh, rhinos as well. So rhinos uh, coming to Australia and being bred here is, a, is very important, but... They could never, we could never be, um, do it like on the numbers, uh, say, in the natural. Well, the northern white rhino, I think there's two or three living animals before they are completely extinct. One big bull that's been, he's, he's protected with armed guards on a day-to-day basis, 24-7. Coming back to the white rhino in southern Africa, southern Africa has the largest population of just under 20,000 animals. Um, that's white rhino. Black rhino, no one really knows what the numbers are, but I'll just give you a statistic um, 98% of black rhino don't no longer exist. So you can you can probably take it from there. Um, 
But just coming back to the, the intensity of, of the slaughtering of these animals in Africa today, um, um, just, just take an example, elephant, last year 35,000 elephant were poached. Now, just think about it, that's more elephant in the whole of the Kruger National Park was poached in southern Africa last year alone. So, so at the rate of which these animals are being poached and slaughtered for the horn, the rhino, we will have no rhino in 10 years. Let's take, let's separate the national parks from the private reserves. Okay. Private reserves are run and managed by private individuals, and tourism is also a very strong uh, point there. National parks are funded uh, by government, by all sorts of bodies, by the IUCN, by uh, a whole string of people. They're funded, they're well, they're well uh, staffed, there's boots on the ground, um, the, the rangers out there, um, they've got the military involved. Now, now they're not doing as well as they thought they would. They're also losing rhino. In fact, um, they, they've lost more rhino in national parks than they've lost elsewhere in the reserves. But yes, one can understand why, because it has the largest population. But the biggest problem that we have today, um, um, Garth, is the private reserves. The ones in Mozambique, the ones in Zimbabwe, we've got anti-poaching units there, men that are trained, that are trying to protect these animals, but they are under-equipped and underfunded, and that is the biggest stumbling block that we have to keep these animals alive. Um, and, and I myself uh, can talk uh, on that point in a strong way because I was in the same situation in Mozambique with a group of anti-poaching um, um, rangers that I worked with in the field, and we were under-equipped, and we were fighting a war, and if a certain organization didn't come to our aid, we would have lost that war. But um, we were fortunately, we were funded, we were supported, and we were equipped. And, and because of that, we had huge amounts of success over a period of six months. In this next segment, I asked Mark about his faith. Mark tells me how he first became a believer and how with the weight of the world his faith waned. And he sent an Aussie into the bush to draw Mark back to himself. We also talk here about poachers and why they take the horns. Is it about poverty or is it about something more sinister than that? Also here, Mark tells us about his time protecting the rhinos and how this led to his almost being killed on a number of occasions. Yeah, Garth, you know, the thing is, I was a soldier for four years up in Namibia, and, and that was quite intense for a youngster of 19, 20, going on 21, and, and I didn't know God. I was brought up in a very uh, strong Christian home, but I rebelled and I, and I walked away from God. My twin brother, David MacDonald, he's a pastor today, um, he, he took me by the hand into a church and he took me to the front and I repented and I got saved at the age of 25 or 26. And that was the most amazing, sorry, I'm getting a bit emotional, but I was, I was at that point in my life where I was looking to get married and so forth and I did. I got married and, 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 and we had children and so forth, but um, it suddenly dawned on me how precious God was and how important he was within our, in our life sphere. Uh, sphere and 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 but then I got into the bush and I and I got into Mozambique and I moved so far away from God that that you know I was into cigarettes and into into having a bottle of scotch almost a day and 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 just working in the field and and doing all sorts of of things with the guys out there and and you know um, there was a there was an Australian pastor a mission a missions man that came onto the property um, um, Colin Tucker and he. He uh, was out there to do missions, and I, I gave him a vehicle and some people to help him. 
And every day I had to listen to Colin Tucker talk to me about Jesus. Every day, from breakfast, lunch and dinner, every day. In fact, to a point where I was going to take him from off the property because I just had enough. But you know, um, what he was doing is he was reseeding. He was planting in me a seed and he was watering it and watering it and giving me the, the, the nourishment that that seed needed. And you know, um, it, it didn't take very long. Um, it took about six months, but um, that seed germinated into someone that realized that I needed to run back to Jesus. I needed to run back to him as fast as I could. And all of the time that I was in Mozambique and all of the different circumstances of people being shot in, in confrontation and terrible things happening, I was always safe. Um, I never, ever got hurt. I always came home in one piece. I never, there was no shortage in my life. And yet, I turned my back on God. And, and it, it dawned on me that he never, ever let my hand go. And, and he never, ever let me go. Through any of those circumstances, he held me in his hand. He held me in the palm of his hand. You know, um, we had a, a very bad anti, uh, poaching um, syndicate that, that was operating all along the, the, the periphery of my park and coming into my park that I was managing and killing and slaughtering our animals and putting snares and using the park as a springboard to go into the Kruger National Park because my boundary was with Kruger 40 kilometers long. And I had got involved with with um, informants. That I was paying people to inform me, to give me information on the activities of these syndicates. And they driven by, by mafia-style operations. So it's, it's quite dangerous. And we had, um, had an ambush out... Um, on one of the on one of the areas, and we actually captured um, two poachers. Um, the third one got away. He stabbed um, two of my men quite badly with a screwdriver, and we had to casavac them out. But we continued that operation, and the next day, unfortunately, um, we came into contact with this poacher that had run away. Um, there was exchange of fire, and unfortunately, he he, he was uh, fatally wounded. And and it it became again the reality of what's happening out there is it's it's shocking you know um it's a war and and people don't know about that you know if people aren't told about it nobody's um they they they're not like they are they are oblivious of it but they not they have no information on it anyway um a few weeks later we had word that 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 this very dangerous second uh, first in command of the syndicate the the chap that unfortunately passed away was the second um, uh, in charge of this big syndicate. And we had word that the, the top guy of the syndicate was coming into our area to come and personally poach. And I um, then uh, got uh, some of my, my men together, the best men I had, and I also had some um, Royal Mozambican police involved. And we set up an ambush in an area where there were two old buildings that were ruined during the Civil War. And I'd placed myself right on the top shelf of an old shop, but half the shop was missing. But I was on a top shelf. And one thing the Portuguese could do well was throw cement, because those buildings were steadfast. And, and I was right on the top of the shelf, so I had a good view. It was full moon. Our men had been placed in very strategic positions, and we were waiting. And we waited and waited and probably about 11 o'clock, half past 11 that night, um, God spoke to me. 
as clear as what I'm speaking to the audience today, God spoke to me and said, Son, I want you to leave that area right now. I don't want you to be there. You're not to be there. You need to go. Leave. And you know, I'm, I'm a pretty proud guy and I, and, and, and I just thought, you know, um, I listened to, I heard that voice. Instead of just immediately taking heed, immediately taking heed, I said, no, I'll, I'll lie this out. I need to catch this poacher tonight. I need to arrest this man. Now, there was a wind blowing, um, probably about a 20, 25, 30 knot wind. Now, I know, I've been in the bush long enough, when there's a strong wind blowing, you're not going to get bitten by any insects. There's no insect that's going to be able to bother you. The wind picked up slightly, and the most dreadful swarms of mosquitoes um, fell upon us. Um, we, within five minutes, it was chaos. I mean, I could hear people slapping themselves in the face and arms and legs and back and whatever, and I myself was doing it. And I realized that this is not a normal situation. This can't be happening. The wind's blowing through. It's such a strong wind, there's no way these mosquitoes can be there. And I, I realized immediately that that was a sign that God had spoken to me and it meant what he said to me. He, 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 he meant it for my spirit to understand. And I got up there and I, and I just clapped my hands and blew a whistle and all those men stood up and I said to them, is this normal? And they all looked at me and said, this, this is, they've never ever experienced this before. And we, we walked down and at the back of my head, the spirit, God was saying to me, now my son, now I want you to travel a different route back through the park back to your base. That was a route of about another 10 kilometers further on the route that we'd taken outside the park to get to, our, to where we were. And I, okay, well, I'll tell you, I, I didn't, I didn't um, um, uh, question that too much. I, 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 I got into my vehicle, I gave instructions to my men, we are going this way. And some of them actually still wanted to go the shortcut. And I said, no, no, we're all going this way. And we all traveled back to base. We got there quite late, probably one o'clock in the morning. The next morning, we, we started work early. We, we, we'd start work at about 6 o'clock in the morning because of the, the temperatures and stuff during the day and humidity. So you started early when it was cooler. You worked until probably about 10, 11. You had a little bit of a siesta until 3 o'clock. And then you worked um, until about oh, an hour or so into sunset. The next morning, the first person that I saw that morning was one of my informants. And he had come uh, quite a way and he was, and he was quite um, distressed. And he, he wanted to see me alone, which meant that whatever he needed to tell me was, was, was very important and that no one needed to, 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 to hear what he was going to say. It took me, I took him to my home and he told me in uncertain terms that if we had traveled back the same road, we all would have been murdered that night in a terrible ambush that was set. He had got together 30 ex-military rebel people and they had put themselves in a situation where if we'd driven through that, it was a river crossing, quite a long one, uh, we would have been killed. So, so there to me, straight away, was God had given me two messages in one night. And, you know, I just fell down on the ground and I, I just realized that how precious 
he saw I was, that I was precious to him as a son, and how he protected me and all of my men. And that changed my life forever, God. It's changed my, it's changed the way I do things. Even recently when I was in Mozambique, I was in, in, in a confrontation situation where, 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 where people were shooting at us. Again, um, you know, not the only thing that happened to me, I, I, I bumped my nail on the ground and I had a little black nail. But I had no, nothing, injury, no harm came to us in all of these times. So, so all I can say is that we need to be quiet in ourselves to hear what God is trying to tell us. And, and I think that, that sometimes it, we have to go through uh, a difficult situation to get to know how to listen to God. There's a, there's a lot there in that story. Um, and just to make it perfectly clear, um, that story, you, you were involved in a, an ambush to try and capture a major poacher. But what had happened was the tables had been turned on you and you, the hunter, had become the hunted. And, um, and, and, and God had warned you about that and led you out of their, out of their trap. And you're right. We're talking about a war here where people are getting shot and killed, aren't they? For the sake of these rhinos. Yeah. People are being killed. You know, um, we talk about poachers being shot. We talk about rangers being shot. Yeah. You know, regardless of the loss of life, regardless of it's the children that are left behind, the widows and the orphans. And, and my heart goes out to these people. And that's why. Uh, we need to step up to the plate and we need to start looking towards the users of rhino horn and, and, and ivory. And we need to start telling them that these are the consequences of your actions, of your actions to feed dirty habits, to feed those habits. It's actually quite sickening when you really understand that they ground that rhino horn to powder, to take, to, to take it to A, to, to, to use it as an aphrodisiac, and B, to uh, so that they, they can treat a hangover, uh, and and it can cure cancer and, and whatever case may. Rhino horn has absolutely no medicinal value whatsoever. It's it's compressed hair. That it, it's the same composition of your as your fingernail. So by eating your fingernail, you you you're doing exactly the same as what they're doing in Vietnam. Right, right, and and obviously these poachers they don't care either way because it's the money they're after, right? Well, this is it. You know, in the early days, I'm talking twenty, thirty years ago. If you had a poacher, it was normally for meat, and you know, one would be lenient and understand poverty and people that are hungry. And um, um, I can honestly say, Garth, poaching today in the modern world has got nothing to do with poverty. People are driving around with large four by four four wheel drive uh, uh, vehicles, Land Cruisers. They, they're building big houses. There's, there's arms and ammunition everywhere. They're smuggling with young girls. There's drugs. There's firearms. So it's, it's syndicates. It's a mafia-driven style uh, uh, business. Mafia-driven style. And, and this is why it's so dangerous for people who are sent out to protect them because um, it's, it's a mafia situation. And obviously, they don't care who they hurt or, or harm as well if they're prepared to kill human beings and, and rhinos, it's obvious uh, a very dangerous situation for someone to work in. Uh, and you would want to, I, I guess, be very, very uh, certain about wanting to do this as a job, wouldn't you, if you were in Mozambique or South Africa or, or other places where there are um, people trying to get these rhinos, correct? You're absolutely right. You've hit the nail on there. You have to be 100% committed to the cause of keeping rhino and elephant and other species alive in the African bush as, as a ranger, you have to be 100% committed to it. You, you can't be sitting on the fence, and, and that's how it is. 
Well, Garth, yes. Um, because of the the um, conflict situations we had and 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 poachers getting getting hurt and 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 fatally wounded out in the field, there was reproduction. People wanted to, to to do revenge attacks, and and probably a couple of weeks after one incident where a poacher lost his life, um, I just got married, and my new wife and I were were in my home, and it was a small home, and she actually woke me up by saying that was somebody was trying the door handle of, of the of the little house. Um, and I immediately pushed her off the bed. And when I did that, the first shots were fired. And she, I gave her uh, clear instructions to get into the, the shower and bathroom, because that was where the safest place would be in the little house. And um, two people were attacking the house at once with AK-47s. And I... Uh, was defending it with a 303 caliber uh, rifle and a 458 Bruno rifle. So I didn't have any automatic weapon there with me. Um, but I think with with the with the um, voice of the of the 458, I think um, may have changed the attackers' minds. But nevertheless, um, in the morning when I went outside, I found that I had two attackers and they had emptied uh, 30 rounds each out of an AK-47 into the house. But they didn't shoot very straight. They shot too high. Um, but also what affected me was that I was more worried about the new mosquito gauze that I put on the screens to keep the mosquitoes and flies out of the house. So that that, <laughs> that bothered me some. But yeah, um, so yes, that, that was too close for comfort. And, I, and after that, I, I um, realized that my time, perhaps in Mozambique, might be coming to an end. Yes, well, I... I'm, I'm not surprised, and I don't blame you, especially with having your, your wife there in that situation as well. And it, during that gunfight, and you told me that it was lasted 20 seconds, but seemed like it went for 20 minutes. Was that about right? Yeah, it, it, it lasted probably about 10, 15 seconds, um, 20 seconds max. But it felt like uh, 20 minutes. It felt forever. It felt like these guys were never going to go away. Did you feel God was with you in that situation? Well, he had to be. He had to be uh, in with me. I felt that there was a strong presence of protection. Right. Uh, I didn't even get a, a, a piece of cement or mortar uh, or any any anything, any shrapnel. The the, the actual bullets from the AK forty sevens went at an angle upward, so through the windows upward into the roof and the top walls of of the building. So so that was just almost in an arc upwards, and, and I, I went outside and I thought, well, if I was here and I was pointing that far on straight, those bullets, projectiles, would be coming straight through those windows. So for some other reason, they were, they were put up in an arc um, going through the top of the roof. In this segment, I asked Mark how people can get involved in the conservation of rhinos and other endangered species in Africa. Mark gives us clear warning here that there are some charities that we need to be careful about giving to, and he also suggests one that he works personally with, so this section will be important if you want to get involved with the conservation of rhinos in Africa. Um, First of all, one has to be very aware. In Southern Africa, there are quite a few rhino organisations that are collecting um, equipment and funds, and they are not not properly um, um, registered. So, right. so that one has to be very aware of. Now, while I was in Mozambique, in my Mozambique reserve management roles, 
um, um, because of the situation we were in, uh, we did not have adequate equipment. And I tried to get hold of as many organizations as I could. And one organization that stepped up to the plate is called the International Anti-Poaching Foundation. Now, this organization came to my, to my aid with $15,000 worth of equipment. So we were given equipment, night sights, night vision, thermal imaging, um, a heap of, of very important kit that we needed on the front line. Now, people can look on their website at um, www.aipf.org. So www.aipf.org, International Anti-Poaching Foundation. The founder is Damien Manger. Now, Damien used to be a, a, a Navy a, a SEAL for the Australian Defence Force and a sniper in Iraq. And, and, and this is the quality of men that we have out in the field. Um, and now I have become, since I've come to Australia, a volunteer for that organization. I'm trying to give back to them what they did for me in Mozambique. So for the, over the last couple of months, I've put ad, uh, articles in the newspaper calling for people to donate laptops, thermal imaging cameras, GPS units, and so forth. But, but on the website, they've got a, a, a page that will clearly spell out what the people are needing and where. Okay, that's good. What we'll do is um, when we put this show up on our website, we will put a link to that uh, and people can just go onto our website where this show is and they can go into the show notes and they'll be able to click onto that and go straight there to make sure they get to the correct one because, as you pointed out, there are some, some out there that aren't so good, Mark. But also, I noticed uh, in your story, just briefly, you've, uh, you've had a couple of Aussies in your life that have been a big help, mate. Absolutely. Um, really big, big. Uh, they've played a big role in, 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 in my life, yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, um, the rhino, uh, I used to do wilderness trails in the Kruger National Park, um, Garth, and that meant I took eight people out into the bush on, on a three-day walking safari back to back. So every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I'll go back Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So I was back to back with pe- walking eight people in the African bush in the Kruger. I was armed with a backup. And I don't know how many times we would sit down downwind from Rana, and watch these magnificent creatures crunching along, eating, minding their own business, and right past us. We, they'd walk right past us, not even knowing that we were there. These animals um, are the flagship species. These animals, um, um, unfortunately for me, or I put them in a, a different bracket than I would put a blowfly. Um, all animals have a niche, but these are magnificent animals, like lion, like leopard, that, by the way, are being lured through international boundaries to be shot by hunters sitting in 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 uh, hides shooting these animals off baits. So so for me, um, you know, rhino uh, had, had treed me. I've run up a tree, climbed up trees many times with people. Um, we got stuck underneath a thick thick thorn bush when a big black rhino bull was looking for us. And I looked up under the thorn bush and there was a big nest of wasps, of paper wasps. So I, I looked at my backup, um, Van Roy, and I, and I showed him with my eyes. I said, look up, mate. And he looked up, and there was this big, big um, wasp nest above our heads, and I had eight people under there hiding away from this big black rhino that was coming. 
and our and our and and these are the things that we did, you know. Um, but to be out in the field is a spiritual experience, not just a, 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 um, an environmental or, or biodiversity experience. It's a right. spiritual experience to be on one level with those magnificent animals, and to think about that somebody will chop that animal's horn off while it's still alive, while it's still alive. A lot of them on shot, a fatal shot through the brain. So some of them are alive while that horn's been chopped off. And that horn is taken to a place where people ground the powder to treat a hangover. Now, Garth, for me, that's just, it's, a, it's, it's, it's more than criminal. If we could devalue the horn and put value on the animal, because at the moment the horn and the animal are separated, the horn, they're talking about selling and trading in, 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 in stockpiles of rhino horn in Southern Africa. If we, and this is not ever to be allowed. It will never stop the poaching. We need to devalue the horn. And by devaluing the horn, we need to inject it, which they're doing in South Africa. They're injecting the horn with a chemical, an insecticide, which does cause people to get very ill. But we, we need to find out every single way to protect this animal from being totally to becoming extinct. Because when that day comes, there's no professor, there's no scientist, there's nobody on this earth that was, will be able to do what God has done and to create that animal in the beginning. No one will ever be able to bring that animal back to life, ever. I agree with, with Australia stepping up to the plate and getting animals in, welcoming them into this country so that uh, a, a healthy Breeding nucleuses are kept so that if we get to that event in Southern Africa, that at least we know we've got viable populations elsewhere in the world. So I take my hat off for these people. Yes, yes, no, same here. Like I said, um, there's a, 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 a zoo in, I think it's in Halls Gap in Victoria. I just saw this the other night. They're expecting um, their first arrivals of, of rhino. Yeah. Now, I think I saw they have cheetah there, but um, uh, I was yeah. very excited to see that the rhino are coming. Um, no, just that if there's anybody that wants to contact me directly, sure. I'm happy for them to do that correctly on my Facebook page. Okay, so how do they find you? Just Mark with a C, McDonald. Okay, that's fantastic. All right, and what we'll do is, Mark, um, if anybody's got any other questions or comments and um, they're not on Facebook, I'll invite them to um, uh, email me at gk at likeflintradio.com. That's all lowercase. And yeah. if you've got any comments or suggestions or questions for myself or Mark, um, you can email me there and I will pass them on to Mark and then uh, we'll get back to you about that. But um, uh, Mark, I just a uh, fascinating story. Um, and like I say, uh, combines two of my favourite topics, uh, rhinos and redemption. And I'm just so glad that I got the chance to meet you and you could share your story with us. And um, obviously now you are, you are going on with God um, you you learned a very big lesson in the bush out there, mate, and um, you're moving on with God, and uh, it's just so wonderful to hear that. So, thank you for coming onto the show and sharing your story with us. Thank you very much, and I just wanted to say Psalm 16 uh, um, is some is a psalm that I I've built my faith on, mm-hmm. and and it's something that I walk around with Psalm 16. But I just wanted to say to to, to finish off from our side. Um, I'm also involved with um, with with a, a company called Travel Joy, and we take small groups of six people to Africa. Um, so so if there's people wanting to get involved, 
uh, in that way. And there's also an opportunity to become a, a, a green a green army participant and calling volunteer. So volunteers and so forth. So there's a lot of information on on uh, International Anti-Poaching Foundation's website, but also uh, Travel Joy, uh, which is a Christian um, um, travel agency. Um, we take people, small groups of people, to Africa. Okay. Do you have a website? Yep, they've got a website, www.traveljoy. Western Australia, they're based in Basilton. Alrighty, well, Mark McDonald, thank you for coming on to Like Flint Radio. It's been a great pleasure, and I look forward to having a chat with you soon, mate. Thanks, mate. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion. If you'd like to have Mark back on the show again, just write to me at gk at likeflintradio.com. That's all lowercase, gk at likeflintradio.com. And don't forget to check out our other shows. They're all available for free download at www.likeflintradio.com. Okay, so to finish up here, like I say, big thanks to Mark for coming onto the show, and thank you, Mark, for your fellowship. Also, a big thanks to me old mate Pete B for setting up this interview. Cheers, mate. I'm your host, GK, and until next time, God bless. And hooroo, this is Dissident Prophet and Unconditional Love. Mm-hmm.